You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Now, First of all, we turn to Matthew 19, verses 16 to 22, and then we will turn to Galatians 3, 1 to 14. First of all, Matthew 19, at verse 16. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come to follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Now to Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law, or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law, or because you believe? Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, then, that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed, along with Abraham, man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung by a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. We'll also read from the Belgian Confession, Article 25. This article has the title, Christ, the Fulfillment of the Law. We believe that the ceremonies and symbols of the law have ceased with the coming of Christ, and that all shadows have been fulfilled, so that the use of them ought to be abolished among Christians. Yet their 
truth and substance remain for us in Jesus Christ, in whom they have been fulfilled. In the meantime, we still use the testimonies taken from the law and the prophets, both to confirm us in the doctrine of the gospel and to order our life in all honor, according to God's will and His glory. This afternoon, we're considering the truth of God's word as it's been summarized and confessed by the church. Lord's day two. Where do you know your sins and misery? From the law of God. What does God's law require of us? Christ teaches us this in the summary in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first great and first commandment, and the second is like it. Shall love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Can you keep all this perfectly? No. I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. Love the congregation of Jesus Christ. It's often thought that God helps those who help themselves is a quote from the Bible. Or perhaps that it is a biblical teaching. It is neither. And even though God helps those who help themselves, it is not biblical. It is a very old error. Before the Reformation, the common belief was that God will not deny his grace to those who do what is in their power. Another way of saying, God helps those who help themselves. And this manner of thinking was and is connected with a certain way of reading and understanding the Bible. Before the Reformation, in the medieval, medieval church, it was common to think of the Bible in terms of old law and new law. Old law, new law. <coughs> In the Old Testament, there was old law, where there was no grace, there was no hope for salvation. In the New Testament, one could find a new Moses, Jesus Christ, and a new, a better law. And the difference between the old law and the new law was that God gives more grace so that believers can obey Believers do everything they can, and then God adds His grace, then there's even more obedience. And all of this obedience contributes to one's righteous standing before God. Through the new law, God helps those who help themselves. This way of thinking continues to be popular. Although today we might more aptly describe this way of reading the Bible, as we see it today, as Hard law and law light. A very popular author of family Christian bookstores tells readers that we just have to do our best, and then God will give us his grace. According to this writer, God looks in our hearts and he sees that our hearts are basically good, and that we're trying to do the right thing. He comes with steps to follow to have your best life now, or to become a better you. By living a certain way, following certain principles, 
tap into God's power, and you can receive all sorts of blessings. In a recent interview with 60 Minutes, he was asked why he never speaks about Jesus Christ. And he just answered that that's not what he does. And then he wants to just tell a wide variety of people, Christian or not, live better lives. Probably guess the author I'm speaking about. Joel Osteen is just one example of the modern tendency to preach law light. And what we need today is simply what was needed and what was rediscovered at the time of the Reformation. A proper distinction between the law and the gospel. Martin Luther rejected the old law, new law scheme after he carefully studied the second Corinthians, particularly Second <coughs> Corinthians 3, verse 6. That passage, 2 Corinthians 3, 6, clearly speaks about the law as a killing letter. Instead of old law, new law, Luther saw that the proper way of understanding the Bible, particularly when it comes to our salvation, is to see it in terms of law and gospel. Not very long after, John Calvin followed in his footsteps. Also, clearly distinguishing between law and gospel when it comes to our salvation. That being the case, it shouldn't surprise us to find this distinction found in the other categories as well. Lord's Day 2, we discover that we know our sin and misery from the law of God. That law, summarized with Christ's words in Matthew 22, other words could have been chosen, but the office of our catechism chose Matthew 22. And later on in the catechism, Lord's Day 6, we confess that we know the revelation of Jesus Christ as our mediator from the Holy Gospel. Now the words here were chosen very carefully, and if you ever read the commentaries of Olivianus and Ursinus on their catechism, you'll see that the distinction between law and gospel is very important for them. Because it is so important, also for us, this afternoon we're going to have a look at it. I'll explain it further. First of all, we're going to have a brief look at our definitions. Then we'll consider some of the differences between the law and the gospel. And then, finally, we'll consider some of the similarities. So let's begin then with our definitions. Briefly, the law is where God commands what we are to do and not to do. The law is where he demands our obedience. The law tells us to do something, to act a certain way and not in other ways, to have certain attitudes and not other attitudes, to say some things and not to say other things. Gospel is about what Jesus Christ has done for us and in our place. The gospel is where God simply bids us to receive the offered grace of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. See, the emphasis in the law entirely falls on us and our ability, or rather, our inability. 
emphasis of the gospel is on what somebody else has done for us. Now, it has to be clear that the Bible uses the words law and gospel to differ but related ways. On the one hand, law and gospel sometimes stand for the Old Covenant and New Covenant, or the Old Testament and New Testament, or the time before Christ's death and the time after Christ's death. Now, using law and gospel in this way is meant to portray that there are two different eras in history. And in fact, the Hotford Catechism also uses this way of speaking about law and gospel. Lord's Day 6, we confess that the gospel was foreshadowed by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. So law and gospel can refer to different eras or time periods in history. <coughs> However, here, Lord's Day 2, we're concerned with the distinction in its connection with our salvation. Can we contribute anything from ourselves for our salvation? Can we render some kind of obedience to the law that would keep the holy God from destroying us? As the catechism puts it, can you keep all this perfectly? Or is justification entirely by faith alone, apart from works? Does God declare us right with him because of what we have done or because of what Christ has done? Those are the sorts of questions that are answered by carefully distinguishing <coughs> law and gospel. Now, as we look at the differences between the two, we should pay careful attention to what happens in Christ's encounter with the rich young man in Matthew 19. This man comes up to Christ and asks what he must do to get eternal life. Notice the question. What good thing must I do? He doesn't say, what must I believe? Or who must I believe in? But what must I do? Who has to do something? The man thinks that there is something he can do to obtain eternal life. Well, what Jesus does is he takes him to the logical conclusion of that way of thinking. He says, if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Here Christ is simply repeating the demand of God's law in the Old Testament. It's found in places like Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 20, but basically, do this and live. Well, then he's on the same track and asks, which of the commandments Jesus has in mind? <coughs> Christ answers by going through a few of them, and then at the end he passes on the summary family, loving one's neighbor as oneself. The young man says that he's done it all, done everything. So what does he still need to do? This should be easy. Christ says, if you want to be perfect, sell everything and give to the poor and then come back to me. The man heard that and became sad because he was so rich. In other words, he hadn't really obeyed the commandments of God. Maybe in some external ways he was keeping the law, but when it came to loving his neighbor as himself, he still fell short. There was no salvation in law-keeping for this rich young man. He could not keep it all perfectly. He, like us, was inclined by nature. 
nature that he got in his neighbor. And that illustrates the first difference between the law and the gospel. The law promises life on the condition of perfect obedience. Do this, and you will live, and live eternal. And on the flip side, if you do not keep all the law perfectly, you will die, and die eternally. Like what we say in Psalm 19, that there is great reward for keeping God's law. Who can do this? If you've broken one commandment, you've broken them all. And think of what we read from Galatians 3, verse 10. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And a little bit further, Paul tells us that the law is not based on faith. Rather, the law is based on works. That means it's based on human accomplishments and achievements. The gospel is something different. The law promises life on the condition of perfect obedience. The gospel promises life based on the work of Christ and on the condition of faith in Christ. Galatians 3.11 says, and there Paul is quoting Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. The law says, do this and live. The gospel says, it is done perfectly for you by Christ. Accept it. Believe it. One of the most clear statements of the gospel is found in that well-known, well-loved passage, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So there you have the first difference. The law says, do all this perfectly and live. The gospel says, Christ has done it. Believe it. The second difference rests on the fact that the law is revealed in two places, but the gospel is only revealed in one. The law, of course, is revealed in Scripture, in the Ten Commandments and elsewhere. And in the Ten Words, we have a very precise revelation of God's righteous will. But the law is also found somewhere else. The law is also found in nature. Romans 2.15 tells us that the requirements of the law are written on the hearts of every single human being. And it's been that way from the very beginning, from creation. And Romans 1 teaches us that every human being knows in their heart of hearts that there is a God to whom they will have to give account. The law is revealed in nature and in scripture. Now the gospel is different. The gospel was and is not written on the hearts of human beings. The gospel is only revealed from heaven, which means for us today that it is found in Holy Scripture. Romans 10 teaches us that the good news is something that has to be brought to us. It's not something that we know intuitively or innately. We're not born as people who know automatically about Jesus Christ. Someone has to come and tell us the good 
have the second difference. The law is revealed in nature and in scripture. The gospel is revealed only in scripture. The third difference is found in catechism. From the law we learn of our sin and misery. From the law we learn of our need for a redeemer. From the gospel, we learn the glorious truth of our redemption. Galatians 3.24 teaches us that the law was given to lead us to Christ, so that we would be justified by faith. The law drives us to Christ, but the gospel reveals him. The law demands perfect righteousness, and the gospel shows it in Jesus Christ. There you have three important differences between the law and the gospel. Now, I should mention that there are more, but we're going to leave it at that for this afternoon. Now, we'll move on and briefly consider three of the similarities between the law and the gospel. First of all, both are found in the Old Testament and the New Testament. For instance, we, we find the gospel throughout the Old Testament. As a classic example, we find the gospel already in seed form in Genesis 3.15, where we find mention of the crushing of the head of the serpent. We call this the mother of promise, because from this promise, all other promises in the Bible are derived. Just want one more example, you can think of Isaiah 53, another classic example. I could mention many more. The gospel is found in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so is the law. Now, there are those who think that the Old Testament is all or mostly law, and the New Testament is all or mostly gospel. So they divide up law and gospel along the lines of Old Testament and New Testament. That doesn't work, because the law is also there in the New Testament. Think of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 7. Matthew 5, 17, right at the beginning of that sermon, Christ said that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Or better translated, to confirm it. The law still has power after the coming of Christ. And he adds there at the beginning of Matthew 5 that unless our righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And elsewhere in that sermon, he shows how deep God's law really goes. In fact, he summarizes it in Matthew 5, verse 48, which we heard this morning as well. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's law. So our first similarity is that the law and the gospel are found in both Old Testament and New Testament. Second, both the law and the gospel speak to us and witness to us about Jesus Christ. Earlier, we read from Article 25 of Healthy Confession. Now, that article speaks mostly about the ceremonial law of Moses and how it witnesses to Christ. However, it is equally the case with what we call the moral law, those commandments that are summarized in the Ten Commandments. It also witnesses to number of ways, and one of them, and one that deserves special mention, is the fact that he is the only perfect law-keeping man 
ever to have walked on the face of the earth. We can go through each of the Ten Commandments and we can say, Christ obeyed, Christ obeyed, Christ obeyed. And of course, the Gospel is all about Christ, from first to last, about what Christ has done. His perfect obedience and suffering, His resurrection and ascension, Law and gospel find their meeting point in Jesus Christ. For both his law keeping and his curse bearing are part of the gospel for us. Last of all, there's a similarity between the law and the gospel in that both have a place in the life of a believer. Now, no one should understand this distinction between law and gospel to mean that there is no call for believers. To live according to God's word. In fact, when we believe in Jesus Christ, we hear the gospel and we say, yes, that's for me. The law takes on a new function. The old function of pointing us continually to Christ, driving us to him, driving us to self-despair, and to find hope and refuge in Christ, that's still there. And that's why we read the Ten Commandments every Sunday. But there is an added function. And that's as the guide for the expression of our faithfulness. For believers, the law points us to the gospel, and then the gospel brings us back to the law. But now with the law in a different light. Now the law is not something that condemns, but something that shapes our Christian walk. The gospel is the power of life and holiness. And the law serves to structure Christian holiness. And so distinguishing law and gospel is not meant to say that the law no longer has any bearing on how we live, that we can do away with it. We call that antinomianism, being against the law. And we don't want to go in that direction. There are enough commands in Scripture addressed to Christians that demonstrate that the law is still relevant for us today. And if you want a clear example, have a look at the last four chapters of the book of Romans. See how many commands are there in those four chapters. So there you have three ways in which the law and the gospel are similar. And again, you could have mentioned several more but three will suffice for today. Now having heard all that, I think the big question on many minds at this point will be, so what? Tell us why this matters. So let me briefly explain why this law and gospel distinction matters for Christians. Why it's important to have this straight in our minds, both for our own personal faith lives and also for nurturing our families. Loved ones, it's important to get this right. Because confusion on this point will ultimately distract us away from Christ and his perfect word of redemption. When we are confused on law and gospel, one of two things may result. If we flatten everything in the Bible and everything in the Christian faith unto law, it's all about law. We end up with this idea that it's up to us to contribute something to our salvation. 
some have said in recent times, we get in by God's grace, but we stay in by our works. That's the wrong view that may result when everything becomes law. And on the other end, if we flatten everything in the Bible out to gospel, the gospel is stripped of its meaning. The gospel only has meaning because the law was broken. If there is no law, there is no gospel. If there is no law, Christ came for no good reason. In his life, in his death, everything was in vain. And then we're back to how theologian H. Richard Heber described Protestant liberalism some 50 years ago. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through a Christ without a cross. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through a Christ without a cross. Fortunately, that view is becoming more and more descriptive of Christianity across the board on our planet. At the end of the day, we have to go on to this law and gospel distinction. It's part of God's revelation to keep us focused on Jesus Christ. The law drives us to the Christ presented in the gospel. Getting confused on this point or flattening out this distinction, brothers and sisters, it has never helped anyone fix their eyes on Christ. And that's what we want to do, isn't it? Hebrews 3.1 says, Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest, whom we confess. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the revelation of your word. Thank you for the law which reveals you as holy, just, and good. Thank you that the law points us outside of ourselves to Jesus Christ. Whenever we read or hear your holy law, help us be convicted of our sin and fix our thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Lord God, we thank you not only for the law, but also for the gospel. We thank you for your words of promise telling us that Christ has done everything for us so that we may be accepted by you. Please give us more grace, each and every one of us, so that as often as we hear the gospel, we accept it and believe it. We ask you to hear us in the name of Jesus, our only Savior. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.